to another episode of the Streaking the Lawn podcast. Once again, my name is Pearson. Once again, I've got Zach and Ben with me today. Zachary, hello. How are you? Um, I'm reeling, but I'm good. Mm. Last night was not fun, but I'm here to talk to you guys. So that's fantastic. Understandable. And Ben, how are you doing? Tremendous. Thriving. <laughs> Never been better, unlike the Virginia basketball team. Excellent. Yeah, this will be a bit of a... I guess a little bit more of a reactionary uh, episode than usual, just because the turnaround from uh, last night's disappointing loss is pretty quick to the time of recording. So not a lot of uh, film breakdown, more just our uh, gut reactions to having watched the game. Of course, we do have um, uh, the Albany and Georgia Tech games that haven't been discussed on here. But I think what we're all dealing with and looking at uh, when we look at the UVA men's basketball team is uh, more focused on uh, the pit loss and the fact that they're two and two in the ACC and the fact that this loss was a, a bit of a collapse, you know, a, one where they had a, a double digit lead at the half, a, you know, up to a 14 or so point lead um, in the first half and, and one that, that easily, easily could have been a win and one that we'd see more uh, recent UVA teams just sort of take that double digits and coast to a win where they won instead of coasting to a completely defensive collapse <laughs> and, and, and blowing a lead in the second half against, you know, a decent pit team, a team that was coming off a big win over UNC, uh, a team that is, is, is playing with a lot of confidence. So, you know, it's, it's a, it, we say, well, it's the ACC a lot. And that's sort of become a joke recently with the bottom half of uh, the conference, uh, in recent years, but certainly Pitt looks like no slouch uh, in any road game is is going to be a difficult one in this conference usually. But, um, you know, Zach already hit on that it was disappointing, but w- what were some of your uh, initial takeaways from uh, this disappointing defeat? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just we're sort of seeing the inconsistency that we sort of just talked about at tremendous length last season pop up again um and as those baylor and illinois wins and michigan wins don't look quite as pristine as they did um when they won those games and sort of the recent struggles even with a banged up reese beekman it's sort of like this loss sort of put some things into a different perspective a little bit it's sort of like huh did they get like, did they just kind of hang around with Houston because, like, that's them playing, mm. like, at their best against a really good team? Um, and it's sort of like, where do you draw the line? Because this team is – it's it's confusing to analyze. I mean, I, I think this team – that the ceiling remains sort of, like, at that, like, what we said – I think I, at least what I said coming into the year was like elite eight, like they can make a run in the tournament, beat some good teams, like they're capable of doing that and, and competing at the top of the ACC. That is still very much there. There's no reason that they can't rattle off some sort of like crazy Tony sure. Bennett ACC win streak and and sort of like be 10 and 2 in the conference in a month's time or whatever. And no, I'm just saying like, like yeah, it's, yeah. it's possible. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't think it will. Um but at the same time, it's like they could go 12 and eight in the ACC again this year in a bad conference um, relative to, you know, as you said, relative to other years. Um, and so we're sort of like back where we thought we might have been at the beginning of the year a little bit. Yeah. And and some of that is like, OK, it's, it's one bad night. 
like it it's just like a lot of defensive breakdowns pete pitt being able to sort of like find what was working and they have athletic guards that can make plays off the dribble and um some of uva's perimeter defenders were exposed for not really being able to guard tremendously well on the perimeter um to throw numbers at you Pitt scored 23 points, uh, which is 0.767 points per possession and had eight turnovers in the first half, seven of which were UVA steals. In the second half, Pitt scored 45 points and 1.5 points per possession with zero turnovers. Like, that is just bad. Like, 1.5 points per possession is sort of unheard of in the second half of a conference basketball, of an ACC basketball game yeah. when it's not Duke versus you know, Boston college, you know, at the various ends of the spectrum, I mean, um, for, you know, so even that's at just a basic level, bad. 45 points and a half, like yeah, against UVA right. is for Virginia. Yeah. Is, right. is jaw dropping, you know, yeah. and that's not just like unacceptable for like the for Virginia's defense, right. That's just unacceptable right. across the board. And the lineups continue to be weird. Um, I wrote about that in, in the five takeaways that went up this morning. It just, it feels like, Tony doesn't have, and I don't think that anybody watching has a great grasp of who to what the five best guys are to put out at a certain to put on the floor at a certain time are. But it it feels like, oh man, we probably should have thrown Caden in for Ben in that like seven minute, seven or eight minute second half stretch where Pitt was just destroying Virginia by getting to the rim and making Vanderfloss sort of exploit his defensive liability. Um, and so it feels like there's some questions there and there's just, even though they shot like 42% on the night, there's just, it's not good. It's not pretty. And and the offense is hard to sort of rely on. Um, and, and the defense is, is not great. So Ben, I, before I get into anything pointed, I want to give you a chance to just, you know, your general takeaways. First you know, what's so shocking about this game, I think, is it kind of went against what we thought this Virginia team's identity had been up to this point. This had been a team that, you know, stumbles out of the gate sometimes. They come out slow. They struggle against Florida State early, struggle against JMU early, struggle against Albany early, and then against good teams, just get down. Against Michigan, they were down 10 in the first half. But it's a team that had come out after halftime, always made sound adjustments, and kind of put together those little just killer runs against Georgia Tech last game or against Michigan, against Illinois, against Baylor, where mm. they just come out and look better prepared, more ready to play to start the second half. And so to have this game where you close the first half on a nice stretch with a 10-point lead on a nice Isaac McNeely three, and then you come out for the first five minutes of the second half and really kind of weather the storm. I mean, with under 16 minutes left, you're up 12. It's 44 to 32, and you're like, okay, this team is a team that's been able to keep these games in hand and pull them out all season long. Mm. And then they just absolutely implode on that 19 to three run. One of the worst defensive performances I can remember seeing with how easily Pitt's guards were beating the hedges on the pick and rolls, blowing past guys to the basket. I mean, usually when Virginia loses to teams like this, it's hot shot making and Blake Henson threw in a few tough threes, but that wasn't what was happening against Pitt. I mean, Pitt was getting open lanes to the basket, easy dump-offs for Federico, Federico around the rim. They could get whatever they want, it felt like. And they picked apart Virginia in a way that you just don't expect to see from a Tony Bennett defense, especially this year, especially when Tony's been so good coming out in the second half with adjustments. 
And as Zach mentioned, it's a little bit baffling that they stuck with the Jaden Gardner, Ben Vanderplas lineup for as long as they did, because the issues were clear. I mean, they'd run a high ball screen. BVP would come up, try and hedge, or Gardner would come up, try and hedge. And the guards would just pick it apart. They'd hit the short roll or they'd dribble in fine space and throw it directly to the roll man at the basket. Guys were getting wide open driving lanes, wide open layups open dunks, open threes. And it's just not what you expect from a pack line defense that's designed to take those shots away. So it was shocking, not just that Virginia lost, which happens. Pitt was, the crowd was into it. It's a road ACC game. Pitt's better than people would think this year. They're undefeated in ACC play. They just beat UNC. But not just losing, but to lose in that fashion, where sort of things that you expect to be strengths turn into weaknesses is really worrying for this team going forward. And Zach's right that this team really hasn't looked like they've reached those Baylor and Illinois heights really since Vegas at all. And it is time to start being worried that maybe their ceiling isn't as high as we thought it was after those wins. Yeah, I think, you know, it it was shocking how quickly the floor seemed to come out from under him, right? And it's a combination not only that, you know, against a team that all of a sudden turns on a few shots, 10 points really isn't all that much. When you are susceptible to these four, five, almost six minute scoring drafts, right? So if you're doing that, like they held the they held Pitt to no points for the first four minutes plus of the game, right? What did they score? Six points. You know what I mean? Like if if you're gonna if you're gonna have this immense defensive effort, but not back it up with your own success offensively and they had their own runs like you mentioned zach towards the end of the first half they extended this lead few you know via their own little uh, barrage of, of of shots but through most of this strong defensive performance they still had this anemic offense that ebbed and flowed in its uh, ability to to build that lead and that's what let pit back in the game obviously then combining that with not hitting anything for six minutes means that now you're losing instead of just like giving up most of a lead. I don't know. The, the little guy on pit was a 27% uh, three point shooter before last night. And he hit, hit three uh, right away or not right away, but in that first half. And, you know, if that's one for three, it's a 20 point lead at one point, maybe you're thinking, okay, this is a little more safe. Uh, it was just disappointing all around i think um you know you saw a lot of, of twitter uh finger pointing and, and obviously you can point to i would say everybody right in in their performance had and, and i'm sure the team would echo that and, and coach would echo that but um rather than getting into you know whose fault was everything <laughs> to me it's more like zach an idea of what could we see uh and be adjusted or or what are we hoping to you know come back uh, to, to those highs before uh, consistent shootings got to be number one and sorry to answer my own question question but that's been something we've bantered back and forth through all this is who's going to be the consistent shooter right and who's going to be able to prevent those lulls if they need a bucket and it's been a few minutes yeah and I think fortunately you're seeing Isaac McNeely come on a little bit he's five mm-hmm. or ten in his last two games um, Reese and Kihei continue to be knocked down catch and shoot guys um, who aren't going to have like the volume of shots just because they're creating a lot of the time, but like they can hit those shots. And then, you know, Armand's 41% on the year on five attempts, uh, which sounds weird, um, but <laughs> five attempts per game, which, you know, it, it seems a little bit off. It seems like that should, number should be lower, but um, they were nine for 21 from three in this game. And, you know, they're, 
definitely were some misses like Ben Vanderpost going over three with a lot of sort of late contested threes. I don't know if that's just a result of bad offense or if maybe he should try and keep the ball moving. Um, obviously we had Paul on whenever we did our last podcast and then Paul does not want Ben shooting those. I think he needs to shoot some of them, but maybe not to the volume that he's shot this year. I think that probably, I mean, the offense, um, the offense has good things going for it. You need more production from the front court. Like it just straight up, you need more points from Vanderfoss and Gardner. Caden had 10. Caden's probably going to end the year averaging like nine or nine or some points. But a lot of that just comes from the fact that he's a very good finisher at the rim and Kihei and Reese can make plays for him. Like that's sort of the value of having the two point guards who can penetrate and touch the paint. That so, but a lot of those throws. points, Sorry. right. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those points, he's not like he's producing them. He's right. just finishing. Gardner and, and Vanderbos need to produce, like they need to create um, points. And 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 the Gardner, the, the way that Gardner has sort of like slipped back into the shadows against legitimate competition this year is baffling. Um, it's not like he was ever dominant against, you know, Houston or it's not like he was ever, well, he actually has had very good games against Houston in the past, but <laughs> it's not like he was ever sort of like out physicaling people. That's not a word, but like, it's not like he was beating people with his strength, with his size, but it just seems like those sort of crafty points that he could score by putting a shoulder into someone and then falling away. And it, 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 those points aren't there. Mm. Um, and, and whether that's a schematic thing, whether that's just we have better options now, I think you need to get back to trying to get some points out of those guys on the inside to make things easier for the offense. I think defensively, you might have to start adjusting ball screen coverages. If Caden Chedrick isn't going to be your 30 minute per game center, I mean, he played 27 last night, but if he's not going to be that really consistent, solid UVA big, who's going to blow up ball screens and who you just like, we got to keep him on the floor, which I think you still need to try and make him that, but he's been so inconsistent um, beyond just finishing and sort of like hitting his free throws that it's hard to justify that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so maybe with Ben Vanderpost at the five, you need to start playing drop coverage and say, okay, Reese, like you got to maybe try and fight over this ball screen or just go under it against certain guys. Can you let Gardner and Vanderpost not have to go out on the perimeter? Cause, cause those guys, you know, were racking up foul calls on the hedges. And then when they couldn't, when they had to sort of not be as aggressive, we're just getting burned as Ben um, detailed. So it, it, it's a combination of a lot of things. I think there's a lot of blame and not to, not to put a lot of blame, but like the front court needs to be better um, and and help the guards out some because this is an experienced, skilled front court that should be able to be better than they were last night and, and better than they've consistently been this season. One big issue that I think a lot of Virginia fans had during this game, and that's kind of hard to quantify, is just a sort of lack of effort, physicality, whatever you want to say, mm. especially once Pitt got on that run uh, early in the second half especially in the front court with Vanderplas and Gardner. And as Zach was getting at in these games against stronger competition, the physicality just simply has to pick up. I mean, you can't get 45 combined minutes from Vanderplas and Gardner and combined for two defensive rebounds. Yeah, Yeah. And that's getting beat to balls. And it's not a lack of effort. That's not something that you can kind of just accuse players of, but it certainly did seem like those 50, 50 balls were going 80, 20 pit in the second half. And some of that's luck, but some of that is just getting outworked. And I think that's a good way to describe what happened to Virginia in the second half, just getting outworked. 
I with Gardner again, not to belabor the point Zach was making, but he only took one shot at the rim last night and attempted six mid-range jumpers. He went one for six on those attempts. That's just not efficient offense. That's not what you want to see. <laughs> and it's frustrating watching this team sort of fall into the same old patterns, especially early in that second half. When that run was starting, you could just feel it coming on. So it was Jaden Gardner, 16 feet, jab step, jump shot. Armand Franklin takes two dribbles inside the arc, pulls up, brick. And it's fine when it's going in. And those shots were going in in the first half. And then things started to open up. You started to get downhill a little bit. But in the second half, we just saw too much of the worst version of this Virginia team. And I don't know if it's lineup changes. I don't know if it's schematic changes. I expect that it won't be schematic changes. I think Bennett's really committed, especially on defense, to the way he runs his system, sure. which is tough because Vanderplas would be more effective in a drop coverage scheme. It's just his strengths as a player. Honestly, Gardner might as well. But that's just never going to be the way Virginia's going to play. But they're going to have to find some change-up that they can throw somewhere to stop themselves from getting stuck in these ruts, which, I mean, we're on year 1.5 now of this experiment, of this combination of players. And still too often, it's moments like that second half where things just look totally gummed up offensively and you aren't winning the 50-50 balls. You're getting beat defensively. You're getting beat on the glass. It's going to be hard for them to have any sort of sustained success. Zach, can you talk a little bit about what you saw in the offense uh, in the strategy and the switching between um, the styles of offense that they're running? And, you know, what in what you're about to get into is pit related or lineup preference related or specific skill sets between who's out there and such? Yeah, so um, if you know anything about UVA offense, it's, you know, in sort of like the schematic uh decisions that they make it's a lot of that sides traditional mover blocker offense where you have guards running off the pin down in flare screens um curling trying to get shots penetrate touch the paint throw it to another guard who's coming off a screen yada 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 um very continuous offense and then since that national championship year they've really incorporated a lot of wing ball screens into that where they sort of mesh the continuity ball screen offense from that season and mover blocker to mean that you sort of have a little bit more versatility with what you're doing that offense, a lot of the time last season, what we saw, um, which is run probably 70% plus, I don't have the exact numbers, but but a, a probably 70% plus in, in most games um, with sort of ball screens, high ball screens for, for recent Kihei uh, sort of accounting for, for the rest of the offense. Um, that offense can get very stagnant very quickly. And this is something that we've talked about at length since last season, where guys are just sort of running through the motions and there's not a lot of aggression and it was especially true when Reese was banged up and couldn't really get a step on guys. And that sort of like, you just, you couldn't count on anybody, but Kihei really to make a play. And Kihei's not all that suited for coming off of pin down sort of like on the um, elbow and then trying to get to the rim just because he doesn't have the size and there's too much congestion in there. Uh, so what they've gone to and sort of started to incorporate into their offensive sets in the last maybe three games uh, has been their sort of triangle or what they call three man offense, which is something that has been a part of Bennett's offense really since like very early on, like with back in Anthony Gill and sort of like Mac and Brockton those days. Uh, and they you ran it to great days? success. Huh? You remember way back. I remember Zach was in elementary school 2013. Oh, oh yeah fourth one of those grades breaking um, down things in crayon 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Some red germs. Yeah. Right. yeah I was handing it to Tony. Have I told the story on this podcast <laughs> about the uh, being at Tony Bennett's house on New Year's Day? I, I don't know if you have or not. Uh, well, whatever. That 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 can be a story for another time. Another we're time. Not about He's teasing yeah. the audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tune back in next week. You'll hear Zach's yeah. New Year's Eve story in twenty minutes. <laughs> right. That would have been a good like sort of like New Year's podcast for us. Anyway, um, it's only the fourth. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> give it another uh, three hundred sixty-one days. Zach. <laughs> Nonetheless, anyway, uh, I'm sorry for making. No, you're good. I, I got sidetracked. Um, it, this triangle offense, uh, which if you know anything about the triangle offense, it's three guys. Assume and, I don't. Or, How about that? Let, okay. Let's get. Yeah. yeah. So popularized uh with the chicago bulls no but um <laughs> it was an though, offense right? <laughs> it was no it yeah, was. yeah i just don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't want to go back to that i'm not gonna <laughs> go into that sort of thing but okay. for uva it's three guys in the middle of the half court offense uh typically it's two bigs and maybe a guard or a wing essentially uh picking for each other on the inside trying to create mismatches trying to create post-up opportunities or open mid-range looks and then you have two guys on the wing. Uh, this was an offense they ran a lot against Texas Tech in the national championship game. Mm-hmm. Uh, arguably sort of won them that game against Texas Tech's no middle or no um what, what is their defense called? Um, uh, no, I know I remember Jordan's video about breaking this down. Yes, I just don't remember yes, the name. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um YouTube is it, so, it's great if you haven't. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fantastic. <laughs> um and then they actually used it a lot that Jay Huff, Sam Hauser, Trey Murphy year. Uh, because they didn't really have the guards to run mover blocker and mm-hmm. to get into the paint because all they had was uh, recent Kihei and a much younger, not as skilled version of recent Kihei. Um, it's weird to think that Kihei as a junior was much younger, but regardless. Uh, and so they, they could put in Hauser and Huff and, and Kihei on the inside and then Reese and Murphy on the outside. So you had shooting, you had playmaking. That's when they ran a lot of those Kihei Clark post-ups. If anybody yeah. sort of remembers that like weird stretch when he was like getting post-ups late in games and making plays. And so this year, I think that they've, they sort of identified the fact that the offense is stagnant. They have guys on the inside who can make plays and potentially get post-up looks can be effective in the mid range. And so they've started to run an offense where you have, Armand, Ben Vanderplas, and Jane Gardner, for instance, on the inside with Kihei and Reese as playmakers, shot makers, um, and some guys who can get downhill off the dribble. And so probably um, this this pit game was when they used it the most. I don't have the exact numbers yet, but it was probably 50-50 with mover blocker, or at least with some ball screens in there as well. Maybe closer to sort of 40% of the offense, but it was the most that we've seen in a little while. Mm. And essentially what that tells me is that they're sort of seeing that mover blocker is inconsistent for them when shots aren't falling. And this has been an inconsistent shooting team. And so they've said, okay, how can we sort of generate more touches for our guys on the inside? How can we get recent Kihei attacking off the dribble without help immediately there and then confuse defenses. And it worked some success in the first half. Mm -hmm. Um, Things got stagnant in the second half. When you're not able to rely on Jane Gardner and Vanderplas and Kane Cheddar to produce offense for you. And so that's where I'm sort of like, man, if the front court pieces could actually like initiate something and, and make the offense go, then that set would be very effective for this team because then all of a sudden you kick the ball outside and either Reese or Kihei 
can knock down the three-point shot, or if it's a closeout too fast, they can get downhill, make plays from there, go to sort of attack the baseline, kick it out to the opposite corner. There's a lot of things that you can do when you get the defense moving on the inside in that offense. And when you're hitting those mid-range jumpers, there's a lot of different screening actions that you can use amongst those three players that are unusual for defenses because every defense knows the sort of pin-down flare screen actions of the walker but they're not they don't scout the triangle as heavily just because it's not used as much um, by virginia and so i like the incorporation of this of a different look i like trying to get different things going when the offense sure. stagnates and incorporating not new but different schematic ideas the problem is when you just don't have the just bluntly they don't have the production like they just don't have the guys making the plays to be able to run that offense because the reason it works in 2019 is you had DeAndre Hunter getting the ball at the free throw line and then being able to drive to his right hand, put a, you know, put a shoulder into somebody and finish their contract attack. That's what you had with Anthony Gill and Malcolm Brogdon. You had Sam Hauser elite as a mid-range jump shooter. You had Jay Huff who could pop out onto the perimeter at the top of the key and knock down a three. You need those individual players in that sort of offense and UVA's individual players did not perform as they should have or needed to last night. And so that's why that offense had a lot of roles and, and and contributed to so many scoring drafts. And, you know, I think that that's everybody plays a part, right? And, and if you're not getting production from uh, one, it's going to hinder the production from everyone. But it seems like what you're getting at is in that Ben Vanderplas slash Jaden Gardner role in the lane, we would hope for a little bit more of ability to attack and get to the rim rather than settling for turnaround jumpers or, um, you know, what essentially turned back into pass it back out and then pass it around outside. And then there's three seconds left, um, which is where we get into those lulls uh, that we're so familiar with in, in, in the offense, but also outside shooting. Right. And this is a team that's actually, you know, statistically shot the ball very well from outside, but I think we've all, already discussed that it's been inconsistent as where that production has come from coming from successfully um and two guys i would want to talk about you already hit on mcneely has has improved um i think we're gonna need to see more volume from him and it's gonna need to go in as much as it has been recently you know if he can get north north of 40 in a consistent manner that's going to really help the offense but the second point we haven't really talked about Beekman's shooting ability and I know that's something we were discussing on Twitter and and such so Ben you know where where do you see Beekman fitting in uh he can't do everything and also we don't know if he's even 100 percent, right and also we've seen him you know like not make plays like he had some turnovers last night he 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 is it, it, I, I think we all agree he's, he's he's probably the best player on the team, but it, it's not like he's um, performing a 10 out of 10 level and not that we have unreasonable expectations. <laughs> I just mean they're going to have, you know, they, so goes the team as goes Reese Beekman, right? And, and part of that should be uh, converting these outside shots. So he's proven very capable of doing this year. Yeah, and you're right. It wasn't a perfect game for Reese. He had one really, really bad live ball turnover where I have no idea what he was looking at. Uh, he threw the ball like backwards to a pit player. Yeah. They got a run out. They got that and one. On I thought it was Kihei. It was so bad. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry. I'll let sorry. That. No. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Publish your mailing address. Great. For... Great. <laughs> but I, Reese even though he, again, not a 10 out of 10 game, he's still very clearly, in my opinion, this team's best player 
when he's on. Uh, he finished with, what, 12 points on nine field goal attempts, which decently efficient, six rebounds, three assists, only one turnover. And what's really changed with him, as you were getting at, is the jump shooting, which has been a very pleasant surprise this season so far. I do have my doubts about how long it'll last, uh, given that he's shot the ball really well from three. He's at 48%. No one's arguing with that. That play last night where he flared to the corner out of sides yeah. and knocked down that fluid fluid corner three, no hitch, no hesitation at all. That was something where I was like, wow, we have not seen this yet from Reese right. Beekman. This is a different player. And you can see in the first half, he was kind of feeling it. Like he was looking off the dribble to get threes up, which is a really encouraging sign. That being said, uh, 48% is a pretty big jump. He's made 14 of his 29 attempts from three on the season. I don't think he's that good of a jump shooter. Uh, he is also three for 23 on mid-range jumpers this year, which is 13%. So like that number should probably be a little higher. His three-point percentage should probably be a little lower. But mm. it it'll all even out as the season goes on. That being said, the fact that he can even – threaten defenses at all as a jump shooter is a significant improvement from last year because teams literally weren't guarding him right. i mean you'll remember that duke Syracuse. game i mean that game winner he hit yeah he duke got game. that game winner because they were leaving him wide open <laughs> intentionally mark williams forgot to go guard him but it's just it's encouraging to see how willing he is even he's not going to finish the season at 48 percent. i will confidently say that Wow. I, if we'll come if back. he does, we will mark if this he does congratulations yeah. to Reese Beekman on being a lottery pick or something. I'm going to write that on our studio goodness. whiteboard. But I like he's. Studio. <laughs> <laughs> and what's so cool about Reese is that when it, the team has these problems, he's the guy who kind of gets stuck filling the role and fixing them. Like last year, I remember against the Syracuse zone, Virginia was like, oh, we don't have anyone who can shoot. What are we going to do against the 2-3 zone? Now, to be clear, that Syracuse team was awesome. But what they did was they were like, okay, we're just going to stick Reese in the middle here and let him pass and just shred this team apart. When they're playing Michigan and all of a sudden everyone forgets how to play offense, Jaden Gardner's mid-range jumpers are once again not falling. Uh, Kihei can't get by Jet Howard. They're like, okay, Reese, go do something. And he puts up 15, 16 points in the first half, keeps you in the game, and then makes a bunch of nice defensive plays and offensive plays down the stretch to win it. He's just so versatile. And this is kind of the latest thing we've seen from him is, oh, we need a shooter at guard? Okay, I'll start shooting the ball. I'll start not just hitting the occasional wide open three, but taking these semi-contested looks, taking them without hesitation, putting them up. And it's... If it is legit, which, again, I don't think he's 48%. I think he's a legit, decent to good shooter at this point, which he was not for the first two years of his career. The mm -hmm. shot looks better, and it goes in more, and it's hard to argue with that. And if he can keep it up, it makes things work a lot more smoothly for them offensively. So it's obviously been a really positive development. All right. Well, let, uh, let us talk about the next two games because I think um... – both of these games are going to occur before uh, we're back recording and uh, certainly Saturday's home contest against Syracuse. Uh, but next week they play UNC on Tuesday. Both of these are home games and 
you know, it's too early to say must wins or anything like that. But man, do you got to rebound and, and get a win against Syracuse um, to keep keep up the the mojo and the, keep the spirits high in Charlottesville? Um, th- that being said, you also got to beat UNC at home. <laughs> like, like I mean, but both of these, they got to win both of these to just sort of shake off some of this disappointment, I think. And I think if you split them, then we're right back where we still are. So maybe that's the most likely <laughs> end result of these two games. Um, and they could easily drop them both if they play poorly. So let's take a look at both of those teams. Syracuse, of course, is first uh, up on, on Saturday. And they right now um, are, are above UVA in conference. Um, they have uh, just beat a terrible Louisville team by one. Uh, they handled Boston College uh, pretty easily at home. They lost the pit at home by two and earlier in the year on the road uh, got a one-point win against Notre Dame so uh, it's early of course to to be looking at like conference standing is really anything other than who you've played and um, how difficult that's been but they are three and one uh, and you know Virginia is not so Zach when you look at Syracuse uh, coming to town what's something you know, that might present UVA with the biggest problem other than UVA likes to go through four to five minutes scoring uh, def- uh, uh, ruts. Well, I mean, Syracuse is an interesting team this year. Absolutely. Um, you know, they have length in that zone. They're second in the country in block rate. That being said, what is always true and has been said by bajillions of uh play-by-play commentators and analysts is that in that zone, they're susceptible to offensive rebounds. They're 347th in the country in defensive rebounding rate. So it's going to be interesting to see how UVA plays against that zone and plays against that length. Mm. Um, You're going to need those guys on the inside to hustle and get rebounds. Like you're just, (laughs) you're going to need that. You're going to need the Caden Shedrick tap outs. You're going to need to sort of like be able to rely on that, especially if you have a five, nine Kihei Clark, uh, driving to the rim, and then their you know six eleven uh, Jesse Edwards is going to come over and, and and swat the ball out of the air. Um, you know they have uh, a couple of guys who can hit some shots, but it's not crazy. They're one hundred forty second in the country um, in three point shooting. They're going to try and more so try and uh, you know get downhill a little bit more. Um, I think. I mean, this team lost to Colgate. They lost to Bryant. Yeah. They lost to St. John's. Not that any of those teams are horrible, but like Bryant's 183rd on Ken Palm, and that was a game in the Carrier Dome. So this is one of those like get right games, I think. And it's sort of like, okay, shooting, don't be horrible, please, because, you know, you're going to need that. Like, can we just be 35% on, you know, 20 attempts in this one? And I think if they mm. do that, they'll they should win this mm-hmm. i think the defense needs to be better and just that's against any opponent like the defense just needs to straight up be more sound guys on the perimeter need to stay in front of who they're guarding um the bigs have to be better in hedging ball screens because that's as ben said earlier they're gonna they're gonna stick hedging ball screens unless they're starting to switch it's very unlikely that they play drop coverage so they're going to need to be better hedging and then the off-ball rotations on the backside are going to have to just be quicker and be better um Maybe you see like the lineups are going to also be interesting to watch in this game against the zone, because I don't know how many minutes you can put Ryan Dunn on the, in the game for just because he doesn't really do much. And, and, and the zone sort of can capitalize on guys being black holes. Mm. So it'll be interesting. I 
you know, I, I think UVA wins this. I think they've got, you know, three days to, to prep and to go back home. Um, and then I, I think that, that this is a win. If it's not, um, we're going to have a, another tough conversation. We will be sad. And uh, for those of you wondering what Zach's Twitter handle is, now that he's called Ryan Dunn a black hole and taking shots at Kihei uh, unwarrantedly. So um, it's at Zach Carey, but you got to throw in like a bunch of unnecessary underscores. So good luck. Hey, listen, the guy who has (laughs) at Zach Carey has been inactive since like 2012. (laughs) And it's very upsetting to me. Um, But, you know, it's where we are. You should take it up with Elon. I should, I should, <laughs> along with my verification. We're all going to move on to Macedon. Uh, this account may or may not be notable. Yeah. I haven't been able to get into our publishing platform because our our, our duo authentication is through Twitter. Yeah. And I haven't, <laughs> I've been legitimately having issues. Like it's a miracle that I got a story up for this game just because like I can't get out on my phone anymore, which is a problem because I don't always have my computer with me. And there are many stories that I will type up on my phone and like my computer is glitchy so like i had to do it on my girlfriend's is a whole different it, it's a problem and, and we're gonna have to change things intrepid reporter zach carey writing <laughs> stories in his notes app you heard it here first <laughs> it's back on crayon and he's just gonna take pictures and all right ben uh not into the weeds of the issues of a blogging platform but uh more into the issues of syracuse presenting a bit of a like we said it's not really must win but i mean for the sake of our mental health and, and the optimism around this team. It's a must win. Um, what do you see in looking at Saturday's game? If they lose to Syracuse, we're going to have some problems. Syracuse <laughs> is pretty terrible this year. Uh, it's not, it's actually not like the same old, same old Bayheim that you kind of expect like that mental image of Syracuse with Buddy and Joe Girard just running around chucking threes all game. They haven't been that this year. Girard is the only guy who's really left from that style of team, and he'll he'll get him up for sure. But he's really the only shooter they have. They've been playing this freshman guard, Judah Mintz, who, uh, knock on wood, has looked very bad shooting the ball when I've watched them play. I think he is at 17% from three on the year. Uh, he's athletic. So he'll he's going to open things he's three for three. Every, yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll drill three on <laughs> Just us. Just three quick, quick ones. <laughs> yeah, but outside of Gerard and uh, freshman Chris Bell, they really don't play anyone who can shoot. Malik Brown's a non-shooter. Jesse Edwards is a non-shooter. Benny Williams will put him up. He's not good. And then Mince. So in their rotation, it shouldn't be a tough team for UVA to guard. They have the same problems the zone always has with offensive rebounding. They allow offensive rebounds on 35% of opponent shots, which is 347th in the NCAA. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. not where you want to be. And they just beat Louisville by one. (laughs) And our friend Jim Beheim looks like he has absolutely thrown in the towel. In the post-game interview afterwards, uh, he said something along the lines of, yeah, Louisville's a good team, you know? I believe what he said was which, they're not that bad. Yep, they're not, not that bad. <laughs> which is <laughs> so funny. <laughs> which, oh uh, my goodness. We're going to miss Bayhive when he finally retires. Yeah, this this team lost to St. John's, who sucks. They lost to Colgate, who sucks, by 12. They lost to Illinois, who's decent, by 29. All right. I, all right. If Virginia also... If Virginia struggles against Syracuse, I think it'll be because of Jesse Edwards. And if you struggle because of Jesse Edwards, not to 
jump the gun here, but looking ahead, that would not be a good sign for one Armando Baycott, who yeah. absolutely eviscerated the Cavaliers last year in two games and will probably do it again this year unless something changes. <laughs> well, we can go ahead and jump into UNC. I was going to uh, start you know, with the analysis of it is roughly the same UNC team that easily handled Virginia uh, last season, except, of course, that... Um, you know, the new face is Pete Nance uh, at the forward position and Caleb Love is right now, knock on wood, not shooting very well. And so, you know, you you think it's going to be bullied by Baycott down low and Caleb Love and maybe RJ Davis, uh, you know, raining threes over you. And uh, UNC has been on a roller coaster this year. So it's almost obviously dependent on which UVA team shows up, but very much so which UNC team shows up. So if you haven't been following them uh, too closely, their weird season goes as, uh, let me pull it back up here. They had a bunch of losses in a row in the middle of the f- middle of this first half, so to speak, to Iowa State, Alabama, Indiana, and Virginia Tech. That they rattled off four in a row, including a, an impressive comeback uh, in New York against Ohio State. And uh, I would say easily handled Michigan. I mean, it was only a four-point win, but wa- having watched that game, it looked like Carolina was going to win the whole time. Mm-hmm. Then they just lost to two by two to Pittsburgh. So <laughs> they're sort of like, <laughs> uh, you know, having some ups and downs as as all our teams are. But a lot of that has been the streaky lack of shooting from Caleb Love and Baycott being maybe not healthy, maybe just not producing, maybe just, you know, somewhere in between as far as his health and confidence and, and whatnot. But he's still Armando Baycott. And he's still the same dude that just completely, like you said, eviscerated uh, the Cavaliers last year. And he's still leading the heels in scoring a little bit of game splits from him. I mean, like I said, he's been heard and he's sort of been dogged on by UNC fans recently. But against Pitt, he had 22. Against Michigan, he had 26. Against OSU, he had 28. 14 against the Citadel. And then that Georgia Tech win 21. So it's not like he hasn't been producing recently. So like you said, there's no reason to uh, anticipate anything other than a double-double really uh, again for Baycott. I think if they can keep UNC shooters still shooting poorly, then it gives them a decent chance to to win at home. Um, but that's a that's really hard to call, right? Like, you know, you feel like their other shoot is going to drop for the better at some point. And it sure did last year when they got hot. I think the reasons for optimism for Virginia is we haven't seen it really from UNC yet this year. And, uh, you know, maybe they stay in their rut, right? What, what do you guys think? I'm worried about their front court. If Baycott is healthy and if Pete Nance plays well, I think that regardless of how UNC shoots, UNC can just destroy Virginia um, on offense because Caden Shedrick can only guard one guy, and even then, I don't know if he can lock him down. Pete Nance is 6'11", and he's going to be able to do a lot of things that uh, Jaden Gardner and Van Vanderplas are not going to be able to guard if if they can run through him. I mean, he's he's been sort of up and down as well and had his good games, had his bad games. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Their, their front court scares me, and then it's it, – They've had a, a season sort of weirdly similar to UVA. It's just that UVA sort of won some of their closer games. Like if, if Virginia had lost to Baylor and lost to Illinois, we'd probably be sort of having the same conversation and they didn't. So that's what matters. Um, but 
it's two teams that like have sort of dealt with an injury to their best player probably. And, you know, and sort of like been in ruts at times showed a high ceiling, you know, at times have also been pretty meh at other times. And UV just has a couple more um, or a couple fewer losses. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think UNC at its best beats Virginia. And so I think it sort of comes down to how they play and how Virginia can stop them if they yeah. can. And one thing I wanted to add about the heels is that um, Nance is no Brady Manic. Uh, they're, they're very different players. Um, and Brady Manic did something very particular to destroy Virginia, which is flare out and hit those threes. I mean, we saw it through their tournament run, right? It's, he's, he's a huge reason why they were able to make that tournament run. And he's not there. And Nance isn't that type of player. But where UNC took advantage of UVA last year was not just in shooting, but also in bullying in the paint, like you said. Uh, and we saw Virginia get bullied last night. We saw them get bullied somewhat against Michigan and still win. So it's not like that Virginia's not capable. It's a game, but hopefully, you, you know, you see Kafaro back, or sorry, Kafaro <laughs> back, back out there, uh, which of course we don't know if that's going to be the case or not. Um, I don't know, uh, Ben, what do you see with the heels? I don't think there's been a mismatch as big in any games this year as UNC's front court against Virginia's front court, at least in Virginia games. I mean, Michigan was good. Hunter Dickinson can play. I think Baycott is better than Dickinson. Uh, this season, he's yeah. been hurt, like a little banged up. Uh, actually, much like Reese Beekman. Um, as Zach mentioned, it's been kind of the same arc of, oh, our best player is hurt. Are we really bad? And I mean, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. This UNC season has been really weird because they came into the way overrated. They should never have been number one in the preseason poll, which not to get sidetracked, it should have been KU. KU won, whatever, <laughs> let them have it. Don't give it to this freaking UNC team that was an eight seed and won five games in a row because Caleb Love could miss. They were Caleb Love, by the reason. way. <laughs> Caleb yeah. Love down to 29% from three yards. Jay Davis at 30% uh, locked them in for six for 13 against Virginia. <laughs> um, but I, this UNC team has not been good in a lot of games this year. They, I mean, they won those first games of the year. They could have lost to like Portland. Yeah. They could have lost to Gardner Webb. I, this is not a team that has exactly had a stellar track record this season. That being said, the one thing they have is a lot of experience and an ability to get up for big games, as we saw last year. And Virginia has kind of benefited in the early going from having sort of cohesion as a team that opponents might not have. We saw that especially against Baylor and Illinois, where those were teams sort of figuring out how their new guys were going to fit together, especially Illinois with no Kofi, obviously. And then Baylor bringing in Keontae George in a huge role, where Virginia was kind of like, we know what we're going to do. Well, Virginia knows what they're going to do. UNC knows what they're going to do. I think UNC's version of we're just going to throw it into Armando Baycott, you can't stop him, is too much for Virginia. I mean, the dude had 29 and 24 against us last year. That's And Virginia never looked competitive in either of those UNC games with this version of UNC. I think they probably beat Virginia, and I don't think it's particularly close. Um. That being said, there's a world where they come out and lay an egg in Virginia wins because, like, whatever, those guards don't get up. They look lazy. They throw some stupid live ball turnovers. You get some Reese Beekman run out dunks. 
But I think they're a good team and they match up really, really well with Virginia's weaknesses. So I'm anticipating a rough going there. I think Virginia destroys Syracuse um, and struggles against UNC. Well, we will be back, of course, to talk about it uh, regardless. And I I think that's a a pretty fair guess for what will happen. I will add, though, uh, at least prior to last season's unc team and this seems sort of irrelevant because it almost is the same unc team so it's more likely the the compelling evidence is last season but prior to last season if there was a get right game for the virginia cavaliers and the jpj it's usually when the heels were visiting right because you get the big crowd and then you beat the crap out of them so you know let's <laughs> let's hope for uh, a return to a normalcy uh, in that way uh next tuesday but regardless we'll be back uh of course to talk about whatever happens and stay tuned to the blog for uh pre and post and during game coverage through both of those games uh for everybody at streaking the lawn i'm pierce go who's 